Friends, once again, my name is Mitchell Boone. I am the senior pastor at White Rock, and if you are just now joining us in worship, uh, welcome. We're really excited to have you. This is the last Sunday in a worship series we've been calling the Encountering the Risen Christ. It's a post-Easter, Easter season uh, worship series focused on the very real tangible ways that we experience the risen Christ in our own life. And it has been um, a really important series, I think, for us as a church as we try to regain our footing, uh, you know, as we kind of warm up to this idea that we're moving towards being back in the space and moving towards worshiping in person. I want us to beyond the protocols that we, that we should take seriously. I want us to, you know, beyond beyond all the ways that we are gonna have to operate when we come back together in community, I want us to also spiritually prepare ourselves and, and be reminded that God is active in the world right here and right now. I think the challenge is when you have a season like Easter, the challenge is to think of Easter only as a specific day on the calendar, right? And we kind of prepare a lot for Easter Sunday as a church. It's, we have an entire season dedicated to that preparation for that day. Uh, it's easy, I think, to, to view Easter as one moment and one day in a calendar year. And 364 days really are spent not celebrating Easter. But the truth is, before Easter became a theological doctrine, an important one, I might add, that the church uh, proclaims, Easter was a lived experience, an embodied reality for those who encountered Christ right after his resurrection. It was the risen Christ that was disrupting the lives of his closest friends by just showing up, like the best uninvited guest of all time, right? And this series really was then created as a way for us to put ourselves not only in the story, but begin to realize that we too can have very real embodied encounters with the risen Christ. It's not just a theological doctrine that we proclaim when we say Christ is risen. It's a reality. It's available to you. It's available to me. And I think it's not hard for us to look at the state of the world and question whether or not God is active at all, right? Or question if God even exists. It is easy for us to see what's going on in the world and have those questions and those doubts. And so my hope is that we can shift ourselves to see uh, the joy that is brought to us by Easter morning each and every day. And if we can make that subtle shift to recognizing that Christ is indeed alive and active in the world, we have a better opportunity to not only spiritually align our lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we have an opportunity to invite others to do the same. So this whole series has been focused really on the last two chapters of the Gospel of John. This morning I'll be reading from John 21, verses one through 14. I invite you to hear these words. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. 
Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, then cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer, the one who invites us to have a simple encounter with you. May we pay attention and invite others to do the same. Amen. So here we are, right? This is really the ending of the Gospel of John. There's not another chapter. And the next story right after this one is Jesus reconciling Peter back into the fold, essentially, and then that's it. And so this is the last time we have really an encounter the disciples have with, with Jesus. And what I love about this is that it, the text tells us this is the third time, right? Very specific. I would actually argue it's the fourth time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples. If we elevate, rightfully so, Mary Magdalene's encounter with Christ at the tomb as one of those moments or appearances by Jesus. So we have Mary Magdalene, right? And she, she's the first to bear witness to the good news, right? She's struck by grief, confused, upset, and she mistakes Jesus for the gardener, which totally makes sense. And then Jesus really in that moment says her name and she is reconciled and a peace comes about the situation. That night, um, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, right, that night, uh, the disciples are behind locked door. They are fearful of being found out, of being associated or connected to the life and ministry and death of Jesus. And so they are trying to figure out, I guess, what to do. And so the best thing to do is keep a low profile. And yet Jesus finds them in that moment of fear and of uncertainty and says, peace be with you, and breathes upon them the Holy Spirit. 
The third time Jesus encounters the disciples, it's with Thomas, right? Because Thomas wasn't there in that room behind locked door. Thomas had better things to do than live his life, right, being manipulated or controlled by fear. And so Thomas hears that Jesus has appeared and demands, right, to have some proof. We talked about this last week. Jesus shows up again, gives Thomas this opportunity to put his hands in the wounds of Jesus, right? And so here we have Jesus kind of pushing himself into these real encounters with the disciples. And yet again, we have this beautiful story of Jesus kind of just showing up. And what I love most about this text is that it seems so real because the disciples, they aren't really doing a whole lot, right? They, they have been equipped, empowered, uh, sent out to go proclaim this good news of Christ's resurrection to the world, and yet they find themselves doing what has brought them comfort in the past, what has brought them meaning or purpose. It's what they know. They went fishing, right? That's what they're doing. I'm sure they are concerned about what life will be like, how they'll pay the bills, how they will make sense of their reality, and so they do what they've always done, right? At least they do what they had always done before Christ called them to be disciples. And the text shows us, right, that apparently they're a bit rusty, which I could relate to. This past week I was at the Barley House and um, it was the first time I'd really had to interact with a server and uh, it was very awkward. It was extremely awkward. If someone would have been recording it, I'm sure it would have been, uh, y'all would have gotten a bit of a laugh because for over a year, right, the the real way I've interacted with restaurants is like through drop-down menus and like credit card information and the CVV, the code on the back of my card, right, and and like two-step authentication, like whatever it is, like the main way I've been able to get food that I did not prepare myself was by ordering it online. And here's this person just asking me what would I like, right? And like being chit-chatty and doing all the things that good servers do. And I was really in a weird spot. So I get this idea that, that we can become rusty even with the things that are most normal or come easy to us, right? No doubt, the disciples are kind of still tangled up in the cobwebs of, uh, you know, post Jesus's ministry because the text tells us they fish all night long and they catch nothing, zero, which seems to be uh, not a good uh, outing, right, if you're fishing all night long. And just as the light begins to like reverberate across the water, as the the water kind of captures the daybreak's glow and kind of, I imagine you can begin to make things out, there's a shadowy figure on the beach that uh, really begins to taunt them, if we're being honest. Hey, have y'all caught anything? Now we know this is Jesus and we would assume that Jesus would know whether or not they'd caught anything, but Jesus just has to ask the question, hey, did y'all catch anything? No? Try the other side of the boat, which seems like so simple. Just try the other side, right? So easy. And 
you can almost hear Jesus like snickering as he says it. And of course, the simple and rather obvious advice yields so many fish that it spurs the beloved disciple who is on the boat to recognize Jesus is the one on the beach. And it starts a domino effect, right? Because then Peter, not wanting to seem lesser than, uh, agrees with uh, the beloved disciple's uh, recognition, puts on all of his clothes, and then jumps into the water, which is very confusing. And then what we have is the rest of the disciples are left to pull, right? They can't lift the net up into the, fi- uh, they, they can't lift the net up into the boat. They have to drag it up to the beach because there are so many fish. And here, here's why I really love this text. It's because it's so simple and beautiful, right? We get a glimpse of what it is like to encounter the risen Christ, and it's not overly complicated. It's not hidden behind the trappings of uh, tradition or the church. It's not uh, a secret that has to be solved. It's It's a simple encounter with the disciples doing what they've always done, which is fishing. And in the midst of my preparation this week, I I don't want to overcomplicate this story for us because the story itself is just so good. But I do think there are just a few things that deserve our attention, things that we should ponder as we hear this story once again. The first is that 153 fish are bound up in that net. Now, there's a lot of people that have written a lot about why 153. It is indeed oddly specific. My favorite is that uh, 153 represented at the time the known species of fish throughout the world. And so I like this idea that that Jesus' invitation for the disciples to fish on the other side of the boat with fishing being the kind of same... in this is a metaphor that is used to talk about inviting people into a life with Jesus, right? It's, it's Jesus inviting the disciples to cast their net on the other side and invite all to a place where they can have this encounter. But regardless of the number, I think it's obvious be, that 153 is just a lot of fish. It's, a ton of fish, so much so that they can't really maneuver the boat very well. They got to drag it in, right? And it's here that we are invited to look at this story as a glimpse into, once again, God's abundance. And like I said this morning, it's been a while since I've gotten on this soapbox, although it was like I was on a soapbox because I was on an elevated platform. So, uh, and I know I talk about this a lot, but I think it's been a while, right? That I'm a big fan of thinking about God's grace, love, and activity in the world in terms of abundance, not scarcity. The truth is, it is easy, it has been easy for us to buy into this myth of scarcity. And not for like selfish or uh, superficial reasons, right? There are very real ways in which scarcity has dominated the way that we've lived and operated. I mean, think about the beginning of this pandemic. Over a year ago, we were concerned that there weren't enough masks hand sanitizer to go around, right? I went to Costco like five times to try to get toilet paper and I couldn't find any. We were worried about ventilators. Do you remember that? 
and how we didn't have enough ventilators and the fear that kind of creeps in when we realize that or we believe that we don't have enough. And then you think about all the ways that the vaccine was rolled out and how scarce it seemed. And so it is totally reasonable that for the past year we've been kind of locked into this myth of scarcity. It's been everywhere. I mean, also, I just got my property tax bill and I uh, opened that up. Thank you, Dallas County, right? It's easy to feel like uh, we're living in a pretty scarce environment when, uh, when Dallas County comes appraising your home, right? The truth is, like, I think it's easy for us to live in that place, but the reality is that is not God's place. That's our place, maybe. That might be how we interpret uh, the economy or our work with one another, but God does not operate from a place of scarcity. God operates from a place of abundance. That's why it's so significant there are 153 fish in the net because it is simply a lot of fish. Far more than Jesus could cook on the beach, right? There's a lot of fish highlighting that every time, right, we have an encounter with Christ, whether that's corporate or personal, whether that's public or private, right, every time we have an encounter with the risen Christ, we are reminded of God's abundance. It also, this story reminds me of the important task we have of staying in community because the truth is Peter does not actually recognize that it is Jesus on the beach. It's the beloved disciple who does that. Peter then gets dressed, jumps in, makes a big scene, swims up to the beach, probably seeking that reconciliation that we get later in the chapter. But it's not Peter who notices that it's Jesus. It's the beloved disciple. Now that's why it's so important that when we come back We don't take for granted that we've been apart physically for over a year. It is really, really important that we invest of our time, of our prayers, of our gifts, of our service, of our witness, so that we can help one another see the risen Christ in our midst. There is no name tag situation here, right? Jesus doesn't appear, yell, hey, it's Jesus on the beach, try the other side of the boat. Jesus doesn't have a placard. There's no sign pointing the disciples to Jesus that literally says, hey, I'm Christ, right? What we have here is one disciple letting another disciple know that, hey, I think that's the risen Christ. That requires our commitment to one another because the truth is I need you to tell me when the risen Christ appears. Because left to my own uh, decision making or calculations or ponderings or questions or doubts, like left to my, it being all on me to recognize Christ in, in my midst, I will indeed mess that up. It's too much of a burden for us to ask one another to pay that close attention day in and day out. We must work together to create an environment where we continue to point people to the risen Christ. That's why we need you to continue to invest your whole selves into our work. Because when we work together to carry out the mission of the church, 
There is no doubt that Christ will be among us and show up in our midst. I think maybe the last part of this text, though, is that gives me much joy is that it is a simple breakfast on the beach where the disciples find peace and rest. It's a simple invitation that Jesus offers them. Come, have breakfast. That's it. I mean, it's a bad breakfast. There's no doubt. And Phil, <laughs> Phil thought it'd be a funny joke to put some fish on a grill this morning in outdoor worship and I guess that's what you get if you don't show up for outdoor worship in the morning. You don't get to eat some of Phil's charcoal grilled fish for breakfast. <laughs> I think there are donuts too. But, uh, but here's the truth. Like, regardless of how I, what, what Yelp rating I would give Jesus' breakfast, the, the truth is that it is a simple encounter on the beach that reminds us that our encounters with the risen Christ, they're not trapped in these walls of the church, and thank God for that. They're not trapped in the liturgy or in my preaching or in our discipleship programming. Like, we can't encounter Christ outside of all of this stuff. And in fact, what I love about our church is that we've created an environment where the walls, the liturgy, the preaching, like, we're trying to make things as porous as possible. Not, so that, not only so that we can kind of make our way out into the world, but so that the world can make its way into us. It is a beautiful reminder that it is the sacred encounter the disciples have is paired really with this mundane, normal thing of just eating breakfast on a beach. A beautiful marriage of how God intends to operate in this new reality. God is going to show up in very odd places at times. God is going to act like an uninvited house guest. And the best news of all is that the more we relate to our neighborhood, the more opportunities we have to see the risen Christ in our midst. And so I give you thanks that we've been able to continue to do that work. It will serve us well, not only for our own spiritual edification, but it'll serve us well as we continue to strive after the church that God is calling us to be right here and right now. And so friends, as we move ever so slightly into a new worship series next week about the Holy Spirit, yes, they're connected. We trust that this Easter, this Easter in 2021, <laughs> will not just be a single day, but will begin a new reality for us. That each time we gather together, every day in the mundane, ordinary task, in conversations with neighbors, on Zoom meetings, or that quiet time we find without the kids around, whatever it is, right, that there is indeed an opportunity to encounter the risen Christ. I pray that's your reality, and I pray that we will continue to be a church that upholds that as good and necessary as we continue this hard work together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.